Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr, where every week we learn from the greatest sports stars on the planet, Olympic champions, world champions, world number ones and world record holders. They're all here on iTunes and Stitcher and richardparr.net on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. I hope you've got over your Olympics hangover. Probably like me, you've just been enjoying the start of the English Premier League football season. And of course, then you have this international break where, for example, England play one match and it just really disrupts the flow. I'm not really sure this has ever made sense, but there we go. There we have it. I, I used to really not like those people who used to complain about the Premier League break and the international break and be, oh, I only love Prem football. And I used to really hate those people, but I've become one of those people. And I'm not sure why. I think it might be because of the Fantasy Premier League, because that gets me interested in matches in the Premier League, which I don't normally care about. Like back in the day, if let's say, I don't know, Bolton versus Burnley, no disrespect to either team, but it's not Manchester United versus Arsenal. So it wouldn't be necessarily a game I would be interested in unless I had players in my Fantasy Premier League team. And so that's what keeps me going in matches which I don't really care about. And when the Premier League's not on and I can't compete in my fantasy Premier League, then I kind of lose interest. Maybe there needs to be a fantasy Premier League, a fantasy game for international football. Or maybe I need to do a bit of betting. Who knows? But football is well and truly back. But also, in a couple of weeks, we'll have the Paralympic Games. And I've got a fantastic guest for you next week when the Paralympics starts. It is Tanny Gray-Thompson, Baroness Tanny Gray-Thompson, multi-time Paralympic champion in wheelchair racing. A fantastic interview with her. You can hear that next week on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. But this week, I have got Laura Geitz. She is one of the most successful netball players of all time. She has won the World Championships with Australia twice, once in Singapore and once on home soil in Sydney last year. 
Really interesting chat with Laura. We talk about a whole range of different things from her training to her early life living in the country and getting involved in sport to winning those world titles to coping with not playing when you're on the bench and how you can cope with that frustration to some of the controversy about men playing netball. We discuss all of that on this week's The Best in the World with Richard Parr with Laura Geitz. Great interview with her. That will be coming up in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Once again, it is Audible. They are one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. And for you, the listener of the Best in the World podcast, they are offering you a free audiobook download as part of their free 30-day trial. All you've got to do, this is very, very easy, is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best for your free audiobook as part of your free 30-day trial. It's a product I use myself. If you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I've recommended many audiobooks that I listen to, and I think it's a service you would really benefit from and appreciate. And give it a go for 30 days. There is absolutely no problem because at the end, if you don't want to use it, you can just cancel it and it won't cost you a penny. If you do like the service, just by giving it a go, you're helping me because they are my sponsors and by helping you you're helping me and that link again is audibletrial.com forward slash best all right let's get to it australia's netball captain laura geitz the best in the world podcast with richard parr Laura Geitz, welcome to the Best in the World with Richard Parr, a two-time world champion. Let's start from the very beginning. Tell us about your early life. You grew up in the country, right? And and how did you start playing netball? I did. I um I grew up in a small town called Allera, which is about two and a half hours southwest of of Brisbane. Um, and I grew up on a cattle and grain property, a 1,500-acre cattle and grain property, um, with my mum and my dad uh, and my elder sister, Carla. And um, basically, I had the dream childhood. I think it's only probably now that I look back and realise how lucky I was to grow up in the country. I obviously took it for granted when I was young because I didn't know any different. But um, it was just a very... Active childhood, I was always outdoors, Um, you know, I'd get home from school at 3.30 in the afternoon and um, I we had one rule that we just had to be home by sunset, so we were always either outdoors, um, helping on the farm, riding our bikes, riding our horses, we just had, you know, so many next door neighbours, kids that we were always just mucking around with, so we had had the best childhood. and particularly, like, obviously growing up in a small community, sport is a huge thing here in Australia and anywhere for that matter. So um, I played so much sport. I did athletics and swimming. Um, but it probably, I didn't come across netball until I was 13 years old. So um, a little bit, I suppose, a late bloomer, you could say, in terms of age starting. A lot of people start a lot earlier and... The reason I started was because of my older sister, Carla. She um, came home from school one day. She was playing netball and um, mum had bought her these great ASICS netball shoes to wear for the season. And it was kind of a big deal because 
we very rarely got the latest and greatest sporting equipment. So a new pair of ASIC shoes was a pretty big thing. And I just remember seeing these shoes and loving the look of them and thinking, I'm going to sign up for netball so I can get a pair of shoes. So that's kind of how my journey began when I was 13 years old. And from the first game I played, I just absolutely loved it. Mm. It's amazing how younger siblings get almost inspired stroke slightly jealous of, of their their older brothers or sisters and and that's very often why people get into certain activities or sports so when did you realize that you were good at netball when did you realize that you could take this really seriously more than just playing for fun um oh look to be honest a lot of people say oh did you just were you just natural at it and um, the answer is definitely no. I think um, a lot of people wanted me to play netball at that age because I was all arms and legs and I had had this huge growth spurt when I was 12. So I was pretty much similar height at 13 as what I am now, which is just over six foot. So you can imagine the, the coaches at, at the netball and the netball program wanted me to sign up and play. Um, but I was just all arms and legs and you know, not much else. So it um, it probably, it wasn't like I was a complete natural at it. Um, I just, the one thing that I had for it was just the passion. I just loved it. I loved playing sport. For me, I was exceptionally shy as a kid and sport was the one place where I could kind of, um, I suppose, feel accepted and, you know, just be a part of something that was exciting and encouraging. So um, from the first game of netball I played, I knew that I wanted to play forever because I remember looking at the scoreboard in the school gym and just thinking, I never want this game to finish. I hope I can play the next game and the next game after that. So um, in terms of probably knowing that I could potentially pursue a career with it, probably wasn't until about three or four years down the track um, when I was about 16 and I started getting invited to camps and um, development programs for Queensland and Australia. So um, it was definitely not something that was completely natural to me, but I just had this amazing love for the game. What was it like when you first played for Australia? Oh... <laughs> So many different emotions. I, yeah, I, um, just having my name, even before playing the game, just having my name read out in the team, um, is just the most incredible moment where you've realized you've achieved something you've dreamt of since a little girl. Um, but then, you know, pulling on the dress and the biggest thing for me, the moment that gets me every single time, no matter if it was my first time playing for Australia or, you know, my 30th test is just the moment where you stand on the transverse line and listen to the opposing country's national anthem and then your own. Um, that for me is just, the words don't describe that feeling and there's nothing else that um, can provide the satisfaction or that feeling anywhere else. It is just the most special moment that sends shivers down your spine. So every moment that... Um, that happens I just I know that you can't take any of those games or, or moments for granted because they are just so special and you have to realize how privileged you are to be a part of of that moment 
And you've had lots of special moments in your career. I believe it was in 2011 you won the World Championships for the first time in Singapore. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, well, I was only quite young in 2011. I wasn't an established player in the Diamonds. I was, you know, on the bench. I spent a majority of the the time of the game sitting on the bench and, um, you know, netball's a little bit of a different sport in that fact that if you are on the bench, you can remain on the bench for the entire season or you, you don't really get to see a whole lot of court time. So um, I was very eager. I was um, I was about 22 at that time um, and I was exceptionally eager and just wanted to be out on court. I was kind of like a caged animal, animal I suppose you could say. So it was important for me, I suppose, to sit and, and have that time um, and, you know, watch from the sideline just to build that burning desire to want to be out there playing. Um, and at the same time, that experience in Singapore was just... It was just wonderful, you know, I was um, watching and observing so many great girls playing for the Diamonds um, that had great careers in Cheryl McMahon and Monia Gerard and Kath Cox. So it was, I was probably a bit in awe um, watching those girls and just loving being a part of it all and, um, you know, getting to the grand final was obviously what we set out for and we came up against the Silver Ferns in that moment and like most games against the Silver Ferns, it went down um, to the wire in extra time. And, um, you know, I'm sitting on the bench and Norma, the coach, looked at me and told me I was going on the second half. And we, we were actually trailing by, I think, about nine goals in the second half. Um, and she threw me on court and told me just to go out there and do something and to turn the game around. So, um, you know, it's it just goes to show you've got to just be ready to go and um, it was a, an amazing moment and definitely when I reflect on some of the best times of my career, it's it's definitely one of them when we won by one goal in double extra time. It was pretty amazing. Mm, fantastic. Now you said you were eager to be getting onto the court. Is there a, a fine line which yourself and, and players have to go through where they want to be eager and they want to be part of the team, but they also don't want to be a, a negative aspect or have a negative impact on the on the team. How difficult is it to to be eager but also not disruptive when you're not playing? Because obviously there's frustration. Mm. Yeah, it it is. It's it's a really um, interesting topic, I suppose, and it's um, something that a lot of athletes really struggle with at different times in their careers and you know I suppose when I look at the younger girls coming through that sit the bench I um it's it is so hard because you if you weren't frustrated if if you didn't believe you could be out there on court then I question why you're in the team in the first place so I think that frustration and um, you know, that burning desire to be out there is actually a good thing. Um, but the challenge is being able to control that and um, not letting it erupt in front of your teammates or your coaches and having your time where you can explode, I suppose, so to speak, and, and have your time where you are frustrated and, and angry. But it can never be seen in front of, of your teammates because 
you know, most of the time they've all been there and and done it before you and they've been in that situation and the girl you're sitting behind has, has gone through the process that you're going through. So it's really important um, and, and I suppose probably in the last few years for us at the Diamonds, we've done a lot of work in, you know, the culture on the bench is, is just as important as the culture that's out on the t- out on the court, and you know you've got to you've got to understand that when you're sitting on the bench, you might not be out physically contributing to the game on court, but you've got a role to play on the bench, and and that's a particularly important role to play. And if you play that to the best of your ability, it's amazing what you can actually bring to the team. And I I know firsthand that it's not easy, but at the same time, it's very important for the development. I believe of an athlete to experience that side um, of the game before they get the court time that, you know, everyone is so much wanting. Mm, It's almost a rite of passage. So four years later, you retained the title in Australia. Did it matter more that it was done on home soil? Oh, look, I think it's always, yeah, it's always a dream to play in front of your home um, crowd and your family and your friends and, um, have that opportunity to achieve something in front of so many um, loyal fans and supporters. So it was a there was a huge amount of pressure I think associated with the World Championships in Sydney last year, and probably not until after the the champ, like the World Champs we realised just how much pressure was on us. Um, so particularly special, amazing, you know, a wonderful thing to be a part of. Um, but it definitely did have its its challenges along the way, that's for sure. So let's talk a bit more about what has made you a two-time world champion. What what is your what is your daily routine? What how, how do you normally go about things? How often would you be training? What type of food would you be eating? Why don't you give us an insight on on how you became a champion and and all of the sacrifices you had to go through? Um, to be honest, I'm probably not the world's best trainer. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, and from a, from a young age, I um, didn't love training. Um, I loved playing, and I just couldn't understand why I couldn't play and why I had to, to train. Um, so training for me is something that definitely hasn't come easy. Um, but I think, you know, a typical day in the life for us um, when we're in season is, you know, um, majority of the time we're doing two sessions a day and the morning session, because we're not a fully professional sport, girls have to work as well. So all of our training is done early in the morning or late in the evening. So we're normally up at about 5 a.m. We start our weights or gym program about 6 a.m. for an hour and a half. Um, we've got the majority of the day to go to work or do whatever we, we do. And then um, we regather around four o'clock in the afternoon uh, where we sort of undertake all of our court work and specific sessions, um, which are all skills-based, netball skills, obviously. Um, and those sessions go for about two to two and a half hours. So... We um, we have Wednesday off, but most of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday looks like that. We obviously play on a weekend, um, have a recovery day Monday and Wednesday and, and start again. So um, in terms of nutrition, obviously exceptionally important for us to, and this took me a little while to realise as well, is, you know, what you put in is what you get out. Um, 
and you know you're training you're training so much you're burning so much energy that you're constantly having to refuel your body so we're lucky we have the help of a great nutritionist um, that's worked with us for quite a few years now and we each have individualized programs that um, we can basically refer to and and you know everyone's different um, everyone needs to consume different amounts of of food and energy so you have to I suppose and you do after a while get a great understanding of what it is that your body needs and um, and how to best look after it and you know it is it's really important otherwise your performance just doesn't sit where it should be. Mm. What are some of the jobs that some of the players do uh, when they're not training? Uh, look, we've got a range of we've got we've had teachers, we've had lawyers, we've had girls studying at uni, we've got physios, we've got personal trainers. A lot of girls, um, because you know, I, I started playing this competition eight years ago, and it's changed and evolved so much over the last eight years. So, if I look back to my first few years, everyone was full time working and playing. Um, fast forward eight years down the track, the game, in particularly here in Australia, has gained great momentum and recognition. So therefore, we've seen increased sponsorship and some girls being able to rely on just playing the game as an income. So um, less and less girls are full time working, um, but a lot of girls are setting up, you know, businesses alongside netball, which complement the game, whether it be coaching clinics or you know, personal training, um, careers based around a lot of the stuff that we, we do. So um, I, I think it's, you know, it's really fantastic that that's probably been instilled in as part of the culture of this game is that you do need something else alongside just netball because, um, you know, as we so often hear, it's only you're only one injury away from, from not, playing ever again and that can sound brutal but that's basically the reality of it so a, a lot of girls are exceptionally motivated and and like to do stuff outside of netball to keep themselves busy mm. and, and what do you do I, I, i've seen on your website you've got your fuel to fly netball clinics and you're involved with the rethink role models campaign uh, do you have any other jobs or do you concentrate on that or, or are you solely looked after by netball at this moment um, I have to say I'm, I'm really lucky. I've I've got some amazing partners and sponsors such as the, you know Samsung with the Rethink Role Models campaign, and um, you know I've I'm, I work with ANZ and and ASICS and um, a whole host of different people, which I'm just so so lucky. And um, you know with that comes obviously remuneration, but also with that becomes a lot of appearances and um, different bits and pieces that you need to do for each sponsor. So um, a lot of my time is actually taken up by doing appearances and, and guest speaking and um, and then obviously my clinics as well, which I run alongside Clamic Minimum and other Firebirds and Diamonds players. So there's, to be honest, not a whole lot of time um, when you you know, add all those bits and pieces up alongside the training. There's really not a whole lot of time, spare time at all. So um, particularly busy. I love being busy. Um, but at the same time, I, I am very grateful and lucky that I do have these amazing people that allow me to pretty much be a full-time athlete. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. More from Laura in just a moment, but I just want to remind you that today's sponsor is Audible. For you, the listeners of the Best in the World with Richard Parr podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash best for your free audiobook. As you know, I've listened to lots of different audiobooks. Daniel Bryan's Yes... Carlo Ancelotti's Quiet Leadership and John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed are just three audiobooks that I have listened to. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Now let's get to a netball player, not just any netball player, but the best in the world. It's Laura Geitz. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. You mentioned that the sport is growing in Australia and I believe there's a new National Netball League starting, I think it's in February, and I believe there's a five-year contract, I think, with the Nine Network. Uh, How excited are you by this? But also there's talk that the rules of the sport might change. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, look... um... I'll answer the the question about the rules first because I'm definitely a bit of a traditionalist there. I'd hate to see the game change. I think our product is sensational the way it is. You know, we don't have any issues with having, you know, selling out games or people loving the product. So I'd hate to see the new rules be implemented straight away, maybe further down the track. But um, at this stage, I think our product is is fantastic. Where I don't think, um, where I think we can do a lot better is is actually marketing our product and selling our product. And 
um, making our games exciting, like a, an entertaining factor when people come and watch the game, um, not just relying on the game itself to provide the entertainment, but you know the extra bits and pieces on top of um, the game, I think, is where we can really improve um, and extend our audience. But in terms of Channel 9, you know, coming on board for the next five years and the, the new netball league, it's, it's just, it's such an exciting time here in Australia, you know, we've bid farewell to our New Zealand counterparts, we will no longer be playing them in a um, in the competition that we have done for eight years, it becomes an all-Australian competition, so um, we're developing depth, we're providing more opportunities and positions for girls to be on court here in Australia and we've got three new teams in the competition which are all football club owned teams which is is huge so um, it's gained so much momentum Um, Channel 9 obviously means the games are free to air currently it's on Fox Sports which is um, only limits the audience to people that pay for that channel so um, you know netball will be shown in every single household in Australia next year live Um, so the the possibilities and and the opportunities that that brings is just sensational and and really exciting to um, see the game the game grow and evolve even more than what it has in the past couple of years Mm. and I'm guessing you'd also like to see netball in the Olympics one day I've only I'm actually having withdrawals from the Olympics, not no longer being on TV 24/7. It was just amazing. So um, I must say there was many times, particularly watching the the rugby sevens being introduced this year. I'm thinking, why are we not there? You know, it's it's time and it's time to introduce netball. It's time to have it there. And you know, they obviously announced. The four new sports that will appear in Tokyo, I think surfing and skateboarding and a couple of a couple of extras. So um, I would love to see the game at the Olympics. I think it's um, well and truly overdue to be included, that's for sure. And I would assume that if netball was in the Olympics, there'd also have to be a men's game. Now, last year, the head of netball's governing body, Molly Rhone, said that the International Federation does not promote netball as a men's game and makes and she makes no apologies for it what what are your thoughts on that yeah it's it's really interesting you know we actually play a lot of trial matches against the men um it's probably for us in queensland in terms of um getting the most um realistic competition for ourselves is is playing against the men I must say we often laugh we're like what are you guys doing playing this game like how did men get involved in netball it's it's a question that we honestly have to say we do ask a lot we you know I think we've got to be very careful because um, currently our target audience or you know our regular audience is women and and young girls and you know we want to extend the audience to males and um, if that means males are playing the game so be it Um, but at the same time I think the really um, unique thing about our game is that it is female predominantly played um, and it has been for a very very long time so I think there's advantages and disadvantages and and pros and cons um, both ways you look at it. But, you know, if it's 
about evolving the game and, and taking it to a broader audience, then obviously we need to listen to, to that and, and respect that at the same time. You you said that the new National League is only going to be with Australian teams, so you won't be facing New Zealand teams uh, again in, in, in that competition. Will that make the national team matches between Australia and New Zealand even more intense, do you think? It's really interesting. I'm actually interested to see what effect it does have because um, I think playing in this current competition that we've had, we've had exposure to each other, you know, so much that we, we know each other inside out now. So we'll go back to, you know, only having that exposure against, you know, Australia, New Zealand when we play the test matches in the second half of the year in the international season. So um, it could potentially strengthen international netball, um, particularly the Australian Silver Ferns, New Zealand games. So, um, and maybe, you know, we've just got this competition that is so strong that we've developed so much depth and strength in Australia that we could have, you know, um, well, we've got great depth already. So, um, you know, it could potentially just take netball here in Australia, particularly the Diamonds, to that next level. So I'm actually really interested to see um, for the second half of next year, 2017, the international season and, and how it does, if it does differ to previous years with the Australian New Zealand contest. Mm. And New Zealand media once branded you a thug. Uh, what did you think <laughs> of that? And, and how would you describe your style of play? I was mortified when I picked up the paper that morning and saw, <laughs> saw that headline. Um, Oh, look, do you know what? I think if you read, and, and that was probably a good little lesson for me not to, um, you know, read too much into everything that's said about you. And um, I'm, I am a, I suppose I take a lot of things to heart. So it did definitely, when I read that, as I said, had a bit, an effect, bit of an effect on me. But I thought, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm a defender. Um, my job is to intimidate. My job is to win the ball for for my for my team, my job is to make attackers hate playing me and detest playing me and don't want to play me. So, um, you know, I I do play a physical game. I'm known for um, for being physical and and I've been that way since I've was a, a young girl um, playing. You know, I I go out and I try to win the ball and um, I enjoy that physical contest. I enjoy. Um, you know, being, I suppose, aggressive to a certain extent out on court. So, um, you know, obviously at the end of the day, the umpires have control of the game and when they tell me to pull my head in and enough is enough, I'll listen and respect that. But um, at the same time, um, you know, my job is to, to be out there causing havoc. So I, I think you can look at it two ways. Um, but I, I do, I definitely play a physical and a, a, an aggressive style of netball. Mm. And I've seen you say that you're one injury away from retirement. What, why is that? Oh, look, I think um, probably it's not a nice thing to say. And, and you know, it's, it's um, I think I'm 29 at the end of this year. And um, I never ever thought I would be lucky enough to have been involved and had the experiences and opportunities I've had at this age. So um, I suppose in terms of my career, I feel particularly content with what I've done and what I've been lucky enough to do. And anything now 
particularly following that um, back-to-back grand final with the the Firebirds winning the premiership this year, I I feel a a great um, sense of contentment. So for me, um, everything is a bonus. Um, I'll continue to obviously just assess the situation as I go along, but I'm, I'm not silly. I know that I'm coming towards you know, the end of my career and not the beginning. Um, and I've always said that uh, I'm a player that doesn't want to stay past my use-by date, if that makes sense. I don't want to be the person that hangs on and hangs on when I should have when I should have left last season. That's particularly important for me and I've always um, felt that way and said that. So, um, you know, it's my body, I definitely know my body is not what it used to be. I've got some niggly little injuries um, that need to be managed well. And, um, and you know, I, I just, I suppose the other thing for me is um, I'm really excited to, to start a family as well at some stage. So there's um, a lot of exciting things post-netball to look forward to as well. Do you think you still stay with the sport, maybe going to coaching or something like that? I definitely won't coach. I know that my calling is not coaching. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But absolutely, netball will never get rid of me. Um, (laughs) I think that, you know, it's, it's just given me so much. I feel like I'm probably forever in debt to netball. It's given me so much enjoyment. It's, um, helped me grow as a person. It's let me meet some of the most amazing individuals and make the most amazing friendships all across the world. So, um, you know, I think that I'll always be involved with netball, whether that's in a mentoring role or, you know, doing a little spot of coaching here and there. I'd never take on a head coaching role, but um, I'll always definitely want to be involved in the game. Well, you've certainly had a pretty incredible career and I know Queensland thanks you for it because I believe they're going to make, or that maybe they've already made it, maybe you can tell me, a life-size statue of you. Um, have you seen it? Uh, how does it look? Uh, <laughs> it, um, yeah, they called me actually a couple of weeks ago to, to tell me about it. I haven't seen it. Um, I think it's in the process of being made now. Um Look, oh, to be honest, it's it was lovely, a really lovely gesture. I was a bit embarrassed by it, to be completely honest. You know, at the end of the day, I'm one of 12 girls that have done so much for netball here in Queensland. Um, there's, it's not just, it's not just me. So, um, from that side of things, I probably feel a little bit embarrassed by it, but at the same time, very honoured as well. There's. Um, a couple of other statues here in Queensland, it's kind of the thing that they do and all of those um, statues are, are rugby league players. So um, I'm in very good company and, um, you know, it, it is, it's a lovely gesture from the, the government here in Queensland. Well, I look forward to seeing pictures of it when it goes up. And, of course, we can probably do that on Twitter and various forms of social media. Just before we go, why don't you tell our listeners how they can continue to follow you on social media or any other websites or anything else you'd like to promote before you go? Yeah, um, I've got my website, which is obviously um, 
all of our, our clinics where people register for our clinics. So that's just www.lauragites.com.au. Maybe we could potentially bring our clinics to you guys in, in years to come, which would be lovely. Um, great reason to come and visit. Um, to come and visit. But, um, and obviously just Instagram, um, Ellen Geitz. I am on Instagram and Laura Fibers on Twitter. So lots of different ways to, to keep up to date with everything that's happening in my life well we'll stay across all of that and of course you're welcome in the uk thank you so much for being on the show laura Geitz. thank you for being the best in the world oh thank you very much for having a chat thank you the best in the world podcast with richard parr Thanks again to Laura for coming on this week's The Best in the World with Richard Parr. As I mentioned earlier, next week's guest is Baroness Tani Gray-Thompson, ahead of the Paralympic Games. We get a fascinating insight from her. As we've done with many of our previous guests on the podcast, Chester Williams, the rugby player, was our first ever champion on the podcast. Gary Hunt, the cliff diver, he's been on the show. Darren Campbell, the 4 by 100 meters Olympic gold medalist. Ben Askren from MMA, he's been on the show. Liz McColgan, Richard Folds. You name a sport, we've normally had the champion on it, and if we haven't, we will get them on. And if there's a particular guest you would like to hear on the show, then please let me know. It's very easy to do it. I'm very connected on social media. I'm on Twitter at Richard underscore par. It's also Richard underscore par for Instagram if you want to like one of my pictures. I'm also on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash best in the world with Richard Parr. And also the old-fashioned contact form is on my website, richardparr.net. Lots of ways for you to get in touch with me. If you've got any other thoughts about the show, then also please let me know. And if you've enjoyed the show, I've got one request, and that's to go to iTunes. Go to iTunes and give me a rating and review. It really helps the reach of the program. Our figures have improved dramatically in the last two months on The Best in the World with Richard Parr and we're going to be looking for brand new sponsors of the show. If that's something you think you or your brand or your company could be interested, then please drop me a line on that contact page at richardparr.net or send me a message on Twitter at Richard underscore Parr. We would love to get involved with you and create a valuable partnership. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know Laura Geitz has given us a really good insight into being a top-level champion. We've got more to come. I've already mentioned next week, Baroness Tanny Gray-Thompson and many, many more. Enjoy the rest of your week, what could probably be one of the last weeks of summer in the UK. We're turning into September, so who knows what can happen. But thank you so much for listening, and I'll speak to you again next week. Take care. Goodbye. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.